please have a seat. All right. This is a good sign, not a bad sign. I want to keep this uh, appropriate. Um, I used to preach at a church, and uh, it was an old, old church. And on the column in front of the pulpit, you walked through a column into the pulpit. And on the column in front of it, there was a clock. So I'm going to keep my watch here. There was also on the second step before you walked out into the pulpit, there was a mirror over here so preachers could check their hair. So anyway. Um, <laughs> because they are still preachers. Um, I am going to preach a sermon to myself. This is not, it is, you're in the audience and you're going to hear it, but I, what I don't want is for you to think I've got all this under control. Um, it, when I was putting this together, when I was trying to listen for what God had to say, God had this to say to me, okay? So I, I think it's for all of us, and I think, it's, uh, I think you'll, you'll get something out of it, but, but please hear me. This is not me telling you, here's how I live, here's how you should live also. That is not the way this works, okay? So as the bard said, uh, a rose by any other name would sell, smell as sweet, um, which is to say that, that you call a thing whatever it is, and that doesn't change what it is or who it is, but that's not necessarily the case, and it's not the way that God seems to operate a lot of times. Bless you not the way that he seems to operate a lot of times. If you look through the Bible, names are a big deal. Uh, in the Old Testament, Isaac means laughter because Abraham laughed when God said he was going to have uh, a child. And, and God said, okay, we'll see who laughs last. Um, and uh, Jacob is called uh, Jacob because it means cheat or supplanter because he grabs hold of uh, Esau's heel and then steals something from him. Uh, I might circle around back to that. And, and Jesus, his name actually means God saves, Yahshua. Um, as another bard said, uh, Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top, uh, you don't have to worry because taking care of business is his name. Uh, which it is, but that's a different sermon. Um, but but Jesus' name actually means something. When Gabriel says, put this name on this child, it's because it reveals who he is. And then in the New Testament, what you see is people taking on names because they mean something. They're given to them. So St. James and St. John are called the sons of thunder, uh, Boanerges, um, or sons of rage, depending on how it's translated. And some people say it's because they're fiery and they're passionate. And some people will say it's because their dad always yelled at them in their fishing business. But, but they are given that nickname by Jesus. St. Barnabas is given a name. His name is actually Joseph. Um, but he is given the name Barnabas because it means son of encouragement. And that seems to be who he is. So the name reflects who he is. I'm, my name's Thomas. It means a twin. I don't have a twin. It's just a nice sounding name. And we gave our girls nice sounding names because they're pretty or they have family history, but it doesn't reveal who they are. It doesn't have anything to do with that necessarily. Barnabas earned his name. It was given to him because that's who he is. He's an encourager. So we see that in the, in, the, uh, in the Acts of the Apostles, that he sold land for others uh, to help in the church. He spoke up for Saul when Saul comes to Jerusalem and nobody wants to have anything to do with him. Barnabas speaks up for him. Uh, he brings Paul to the new church in Antioch. He then comes back from Antioch with Paul and brings the offering to the church in Jerusalem during their hardship. Then he's sent out by the church in Antioch with Paul on mission. And while he's along, he, he vouches for Mark 
And then later on, he ends up going with Mark when Saul won't have, Paul won't have anything to do with him. He also goes back to the Jerusalem council and he speaks up for the Gentiles in Antioch and he says, the Holy Spirit is doing something among them. His testimony is important along with St. Peter. So Barnabas is always active speaking up for supporting other people and not speaking up for or supporting himself. So he earns his name. The thing is, we have a name too. Uh, you have a name and, and, and your name is your identity it should be your focus. Again, this is me. It's my identity. It should be my focus. It should be, it is my promised victory and I need to act like it. And it is my purpose for the world. I have a name that wraps all of that up and it deals specifically with me and you have a name too. So your name is your identity. In Revelation, God says to the one, Jesus says to one of the churches, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So you have a name in heaven for you, and I have one for me, and it's not Thomas. But it's something that God has. God knows my identity, and he has that in heaven for me. So when I'm healed of all my sin and my wickedness, and I'm made whole and I'm made perfect, I'll finally become who I'm supposed to be. And now I'm on the road to becoming that person. So Keats said that the world is a veil of soul-making, that we are making ourselves as we go through this life. And who we make ourselves to be, hopefully, is who God wants us to be in the first place. And it should be my focus. This is really where the battle is. This is where rubber meets the road. I can do a lot of things in this world, but what I, I can really do, where I can really spend energy, is on who I am and who I am in my soul. That's where I need to do work. In 1 Peter, Peter says uh, that, that God says, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you read the next 10 verses, Peter goes on and on and on about what that means. And there are a whole lot of imperative verbs in there. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And it sounds like a lot of work. In fact, all of 1 Peter is an epistle to individuals and then to married couples and to parents and to children and to churches. But it is all about the work that we do. It's what all the epistles are about. Romans has a lot of theology in it. But if you look at most of what Paul writes, it's, it's guidebooks. It's a manual for how to live the Christian life. And if you look at what Jesus teaches, Jesus teaches, come to God, and when you come to God, then be perfected. The Beatitudes are a list of what we're supposed to be. Now, there are some things about my identity and your identity that we all have in common. It's not as though I can be a jerk because that's not part of my identity. I can't. There, there are things that all Christians have to be, but then there are some things that are given to me that are given to me. And this unique combination, this recipe that I am, other people don't have that. And so my task is, my focus should be finding out who it is, becoming more and more the person that God wants me to be in this world. And I'm promised that I will have victory. This is not a, well, but instead, God already told me this is going to happen. 
In Philippians, Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I know he will. God has started something in me, and I fight him tooth and nail about it, and I backslide, and I take a step forward and two steps back, and all those things. But somehow, even with me, God's going to get it done. What I would like is for it to get done sooner. Sometimes there are days where literally I would like to go to heaven now. There was one time a friend of ours, a friend of ours was moving his son out of college, and we had all of his stuff packed into this big trailer, and we had stopped at their house, and we were going to go the next day and unload it. And remember my friend said, I sure hope Jesus comes back before we have to unload that trailer. <laughs> and I was younger, and I thought, oh, no. And now as I get older, I think, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but I would like to help God along the way. And that's, that, that's a real core of the battle is my, my own will. I, I know tips and tricks and tools and methods and all those things, but my own will to be holy is what I have to fight against. But God will accomplish this. God is at work in me. What I can't see is what God is doing in anyone else. I know he's at work. You can take this to the bank. Behind every single pair of eyes in this world, there is something eternal going on. They are not just, I don't know, what's the word in video games? Third-person characters, or I don't know what it is. But they're not that. In, inside every single person, God's at work. I can't see what it is, but I can see what it is inside of me. That's where I have real activity. And I have inside information on myself. I cannot get into other people's stuff. I can't roll up my sleeves like a surgeon, a spiritual surgeon, and say, let me tell you what's wrong with you and then let me fix it. But I can with me, because I know exactly where my weak points are and my sicknesses are. So, it's also your purpose in the world. So in Isaiah, God says, I'll give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. So that was given to the nation of Israel. And as we know from Romans, we are spiritual Israel. That's us. The church is Israel in for the past 2,000 years, or at least is supposed to be. And so this is what we're about. And for us individually, this is what we're about. When I go into my life day in and day out, I am a light for the nations. I am to open eyes that are blind. I am to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And by the way, if you ever want a blessing, work in prison ministry. If you ever want to be humbled and see beautiful, beautiful things, go work in prison ministry. Volunteer, do it short term, do it long term. Man, you talk about where the action is. You talk about God at work, God's at work. And it's a lovely thing, and it's an incredible privilege to be a part of. But as a church, this is what we are. We go out into the world, and we show the world who God is. It's our purpose corporately, and it's our purpose individually. And Jesus says the same thing in the gospel reading. When he's sending out the 12, he says, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he says, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. That's our task. 
I'll talk about this in a minute. Maybe I'll talk about it now. I'll talk about it now. <laughs> Notice how spirit-filled this is. And it's really, really uncomfortable for a lot of people. And for me, when I was a baby Christian, and I still am, but when I was even more of a baby Christian, this was exceedingly uncomfortable. Casting out demons and raising the dead and cleansing lepers and healing the sick and giving sight to the blind and all those things. And I really did not know what to make of it. And the thing is, it's in black and white. It's in black and white, and it's all over the place. It's not one of those things where you can say, well, Jesus says this one time, and then the rest of the time it doesn't ever come up again. It comes up all the time. And so it's staring us in the face that this is some, a spirit-filled life that we're supposed to live. This is not myth. It is not ancient history either. This is current, at least it's supposed to be. And there are some of us in this room who have seen it firsthand. And there are some of us in this room, more of us in this room, who, have, who know people who have seen it firsthand. I have time, so I'll briefly give a diversion. So when we were in Estonia, the church that had the mirror for the preachers, uh, that, that church was a, an 800-year-old church. And uh, it's in the middle of Old Town. Uh, it used to be the tallest building in the world has an enormous steeple that is in a lesson for, for us Christians. It's been struck by lightning seven times and burned down. So they finally rebuilt it a little shorter. But it, has, it is the tallest building in Estonia. Um, so when the Soviets took over in 44, um, there was a period of harsh religious retribution or a suppression, and then there was relaxation and suppression and relaxation and back and forth and back and forth. So um, our friends that are our age, when they went to elementary school, if they went to church, then <coughs> teachers were standing on the steps of the church every once in a while, and they'd make a list of their students who were walking into church. And when they came in the next week, they'd say, tell us why you were at church. And then they would explain why you shouldn't go. Anyway, during the 80s, there was a revival there. It just broke out. Um, some of the older members, and one of them was my, my best friend in Estonia, uh, who was 75 when I met him. Um, he and the, the small core of people decided God wants to do something here. They felt the Spirit saying that. And so they started preaching in one of the side chapels. And the chapel filled up. And they started preaching in, and this place is a barn. This place is huge. And it was standing room only. And people came from Kamchatka, which you only see on risk boards, but you know, it's the very farthest eastern coast of Russia. People came from Kamchatka all the way to Estonia on the western edge of the Soviet Union for revival. And I've seen pictures of crutches, wheelchairs left at the altar. My friends who are engineers and scientists, they, they saw tumors disappear, and they saw people walk out, and they saw people get their sight back. The authorities, the KGB office was right across the street. So it wasn't going to last long. And the authorities, they came over and they said, you're going to stop this, or we're going to stop it. And so they talked, and they decided, OK, we're going to stop it. And God never did it again. It was gone. And they, this was you know, 20 years later that we were over there talking to them, and they wept because they stopped. God didn't stop. They stopped, and they kind of said, no thanks, God, and okay. And God went on and did other things. God wasn't done in Estonia. God wasn't done with them, but that was over. This is a spirit-filled thing that we are supposed to sign up for. 
And it's not, it's not as though I'm going to go out and raise the dead and cleanse lepers and give vision and, and. We know that there are spiritual gifts given to each of us, and they're different. My task is to find out what my spiritual gifts are and then use them. Let God use me through my spiritual gifts. And, and it may be, it may be that the modern church has sold its birthright, its inheritance in the Holy Spirit, for a bowl of cultural influence stew. That, that, that this isn't what we do anymore. I, and I don't know why. I don't know why. And, and I don't do it. I, I don't. Uh, I, I've given myself over to intellectual arguments and that kind of thing. That, that's not what Jesus did. But notice how personal it is, too. This is not, all right, you church, you 12 guys go out. He sends them, and they scatter. And so for each of us, you have a personal mission. And you go places where I can't go, and vice versa. God has a plan for each of us. And in that plan, God has something for you to do in the power of the Holy Spirit with your spiritual gifts. And if if it could have been just anybody, somebody else would have been born instead of you. But it was you. You're the one that God wants here and now. So Jesus says, whatever village or town, you find a house and you let your peace rest on it, which I've still never understood. I've tried to live it out. But it's a, a real spiritual transaction between individual people. So Mother Teresa, who knew a thing or two, she said, never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time and always start with the person closest to you. To start. So I don't know the people in front of me, but there may be something I can do for them. Be open to the Holy Spirit to tell you to do something for them, even if it's as simple as offering to pray for people. And I had people over in Estonia, I offered to pray, and there was one girl who stepped back like this, like I was going to touch her or something. She had no idea what that meant. I asked another woman at a conference if I could pray for her, and she just started crying and walked away. She came back and she said, my, my mother's really sick. Just be available. Let the Holy Spirit use you with the person in front of you. And again, you're going places where the rest of us aren't. Those people in your life, in your places, they are your apostolate. That's your flock, your garden of Eden to tend. God gives you that garden to work. So work it. And this is what we see throughout the early church. The early church goes from a persecuted fringe sect to a Roman religion in about 200 years. 300. It starts with 120 people, and it starts in little bitty Israel, and it goes all the way from Spain to India, and it goes all the way from England to Africa and not just the northern coast of Egypt, but it goes deep down into Africa, into Ethiopia. And how does it happen? Individual people, like Barnabas, doing what God wants them to do. That's it. That is all it is. And that's exciting. That's terribly exciting that God has something huge for you. The gospel spreads through lives, not through laws. There's a place for putting your, your faith into action when it comes to other things, but man, what we really, what I need to be doing is investing my time and my energy and my love with, for me, it's 
I teach. So I have to love my kids as difficult as that is sometime. And so you all know, you all have people in your life that you have, to, you have to love them while you're gritting your teeth, right? In your families too. Sure, absolutely. And you can't give up. You can't. And I ask my daughter, or don't ask my daughters, but they would tell you if you asked. I have to catch myself all the time, all the time, to be more loving towards all these people that drive me crazy. And notice how free others are to reject this. They can turn it away. They, and then you shake the dust from your sandals, which is something I'm not good at. And remember what, uh, what Jesus said in the parable about Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man asks if Lazarus could go and warn his family. And Abraham says, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Don't be surprised if you pour your life into someone and they still walk away from it. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility and your blessing are in doing what God has called you to do. So, your name is, your talents, your desires, your skills, your passions, your loves, your interests, Every, your spiritual gifts, everything that God has made you to be, and it's all purified, <coughs> and it's all distilled, and it all becomes this unity in you, the Holy Spirit, God, living in your heart. That's it. So you have a passion for, I don't understand it, baseball, great. That is part of your identity. Awesome. It's great. So if, you're, if your kids are playing baseball, that's where God wants you to be. It's part of your identity. God does not need more Barnabases or Barnabi, I'm not sure. But he needs every single one of us. That's what he wants. I shouldn't say need. God doesn't need me. God gives me the incalculable privilege of working alongside of him. Okay. So the Quakers say that hard work is hard work, and I'm doing all right. I got two minutes. So last little thing. I'm just going to remind you of Ananias who goes and heals Paul from his blindness, Saul at that time. Eight verses in the Bible, he hears God say, hey, go, go talk to Saul, go pray for him, and he does. That's Ananias' role, and it changes, it changes the world. It changes the world because one guy hears God say, hey, go pray for him. But Isaiah 30, 15 says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved, and quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Not in busyness and activity, but I need to be quiet with God. Father Andrew has talked about this, and I'm just going to be really brief. Five minutes at night. Do the spiritual examine. Examine your spiritual life. So you take a few moments in gratitude, and you thank God for a couple of things, small or big. And then you ask God, where was I farthest from you today? Where did I feel distant from you today? And, and you can kind of think of watching your day on tape. For, I'm old enough to say that. Rewinding the tape and watching it all again. And find where were you farthest away from God and then talk with God about it and let God talk to you about it. Let God talk to you about it. See what he has to say about it. Watch it with him. And not just the outside, but what's going on inside as well. Repent. Be deep with God. Spend some time thinking about it. And then... Ask God 
where was I closest to you? It's not just about where did I blow it and I'm sorry, but now where was I closest to you? And this is really cool. If you do this day in, day out, what you will find is a pattern. You'll find God saying, see how this keeps popping up? Well, then maybe you should look more closely at this. This is a great tool for spiritual direction. And it's something that's quick, it's easy, but it's powerful. If you want to know where God is directing you, look at what God's been doing in your life. So you do the same thing. Where was I closest? You talk with him and let him talk back. And then you talk with God about tomorrow. What do you need to do to make it more like that moment today was? Okay? And then you make any commitments you need. If you have questions about that, you're always welcome to ask me. You're, you're welcome to ask. I speak on Father Andrew's behalf. You're welcome to ask Father Andrew. You, you can call him anytime, day or night. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for allowing us to be part of the team. You don't have to. You were entirely perfect before all of creation, and you created, and you created us because you love us, and you want to share yourself with us. Please make that a reality in our lives, that you live inside of us, that we are on mission with you, and help us to live it out. Help us to see the joy in it. Help us to open ourselves up to the pain of it. But please, Lord, make us who we're supposed to be, and please be glorified in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.